My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. And today we're continuing our sermon series, as Campbell told us, from the book of Titus. Today we're looking at Titus chapter 2. So please have your Bibles open to Titus chapter 2 as we look at this passage together. And as we do now, let me open up together in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, Father, we do thank you so much that we can um, have this time together in your word. Father, I pray that you would remove any distractions that we have. Father, help us to um, sit at your feet, to be able to hear your word um, right now. Father, I pray be with me as I preach your word. Anoint me for this task. And Father, we pray that you would be, be with each of us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working powerfully in and through our church during this time. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. What influences you? What shapes and informs your behavior, your attitude, and how you act, and how you live your life? As we grow and mature, as we enter different seasons of life, there will be different things that influence us, different things that will influence our lives, our children. Who influences you most? Is it your friends? Is it perhaps the shows that you're watching on television? I know for me as a child, what influenced me most was my upbringing. How I was raised and instructed by my parents. Their behaviors and their attitudes were modeled to me and I reproduced them. And there is a reason why they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, this is a helpful reminder to parents within the congregation that how you act is being observed by your children. As I grew older and entered my teen years, what influenced me then was a, a drive to be accepted by my peers. And when I was a teenager, it was all about getting involved in the latest fad, being part of the latest trend. I remember teens negotiating with their parents to let them get Facebook asking their parents if they could get the latest MP3 player, or better yet, the iPod. Teens expressing to their parents how they needed to get a better phone, because their friends had just got the latest phone, one that was slimmer, and that could flip. <laughs> and just like most teenagers, I got swept up into these fads. I wanted to be part of these trends. And then as an adult, I was influenced still by my social circles. But then I started getting influenced by the culture around me. Having studied the social sciences and humanities, I started being influenced by feminism, postmodernism, Marxism, secular humanism, and the ever-changing progressive tides of liberalism. I remember thinking that humanity is naturally good, and that we, the human race, have all the means to be able to thrive, all the answers to be able to solve the suffering of this world. But when I see the world, when I see humanity, we haven't got the answers. By our own means, we have no clue how to solve the sufferings and pain of this world. But in the Western world, we have created these utopian ideals, haven't we? that we, humanity, have all the answers. As I look at our culture, 
and Australia in the 21st century. I see that these views are shaping the lives of Australians. Whether Australians know it or not, they are being immersed by these various worldviews and ideologies. And what's especially scary, this is the air that you and I are breathing in also. Friends, if we're not careful, these worldviews will shape and mold the church. It will mold how the church acts. And this has happened before. In the 20th century, liberalism almost killed the Presbyterian church here in Australia. So the church must be on guard because these worldviews can so easily influence us. So let me ask again, what influences you? What shapes and informs your behavior, your attitude and how you act, how you live your lives? Last week we looked at Titus chapter 1 and during the benediction last Sunday, we were reminded that each of us need to live godly lives. We were exhorted that each of us need to live godly lives, not just our elders, but each of us need to be changed and transformed by the gospel. Each of us have been called to live godly lives. And this is Paul's message to Titus in Titus chapter 2. Please have your Bibles open to Titus chapter 2 as we look at this passage together. And here in our passage, Paul reminds us that the gospel trains us to live godly lives. The gospel trains us to reject ungodliness. The gospel trains us to be shaped and transformed to live godly lives for our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let's have a look at verse 1 together. Paul says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Titus, in chapter 1, his task was to appoint elders. Here in chapter 2, he is now instructed to teach the church. Teach the church what it means to be changed and transformed by the gospel. And not just teach them, but tell them how to live it out. How to live the gospel in your lives. And Paul says this starts with our older men. Have a look at um, verse 2. Verse 2 where Paul says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and in love and in endurance. Now, these men, probably between the ages of 40 to 60, would have been most likely the heads of households, responsible for looking after and instructing those within their care their wife, their children, and any servants or slaves they may would have had. And God gives our older men, gives husbands, fathers, the responsibility to teach and to instruct their households to follow Jesus. Now, this was a responsibility given to men in the first century, but it's a responsibility given to men also in the 21st century. You older men, you head of households, are given the responsibility, the task, to teach your families, to lead them to Jesus. Richard Baxter, a Reformed pastor of the 17th century, said, 
that it is unlikely to see reformation within the church unless you first see reformation within the home. Men in the church, if you want to see this church grow, if you want to see God's name proclaimed in the city of Hobart, it starts with you and how you raise your children at home. And Paul says this starts with your character. He says to you older men, live godly lives so that you can instruct others to live godly lives. He says, be self-controlled. Be someone worthy of respect. Be temperate. In other words, Paul is saying to these men, don't be like the cretin, prone to getting drunk, violent and exploiting others. He says to you men in Cornerstone, don't be like the men of our culture. He says... Be self-controlled, temperate, and responsible with your time and money. Be self-controlled, temperate, and responsible with your food and with your drink. The gospel trains you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The gospel trains you to live godly lives. So don't be transformed by the culture around you but be someone changed and transformed by the gospel. Be someone who is sound in faith, done with love and patience. Be someone that can teach their households, their families, to know and to love Jesus. And then in verse 3, Paul commands Titus to instruct older women. Have a look at verse 3. Paul says this, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Paul says that older women, those between the ages of 40 and 60, are to be likewise reverent in their behavior, and they must not conform to the patterns of the world around them, of the women around them. When Paul mentions not slanderous, not addicted to wine. He is implying the state of the ungodliness of those Cretan women around him. They were gossips. They lacked self-control. They lived in sexual promiscuity. Paul says to these older women, don't be like that. Don't conform to the patterns of the women around you. But be shaped by the gospel live godly lives. To the women in our congregation, how is the world, how is our culture tempting you to conform to her patterns? Are you being told to look a certain way? To live a certain lifestyle? To be a certain type of person? Paul is telling you, don't be conformed to the things of this world but let the gospel train you to, be, to live godly lives. The gospel trains you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The gospel trains you to live godly lives. And then in verse 4, Paul gives deliberate instructions to our older women to live godly lives 
so they may teach our young women not to conform to the patterns of this world, so that they may live self-controlled and godly lives also. Uh, what were the risks to the young women of Paul's day? The risk to the young women of Paul's day is that they would live impure lives, seeking to fulfill their own desires rather than living godly ones. Has much changed in the 21st century? I don't think it has. As Cindy Lauper sang in the 1980s, girls just want to have fun. And 40 years later, not much has changed. I dare say, girls now even want to have more fun. Uh, this is why Paul says to our older women to instruct our younger women to live godly lives, to love their husbands and their children, and to be busy at home. It's so countercultural. The idea of a mum who will stay home and look after the children, look after her household. Uh, we live in a culture where women are almost defined by their career. But what does Paul want to remind our young women? Paul wants to remind you what God's Word says. God's Word teaches us that one of the greatest tasks that He has given to our women is to love their husbands and their children and to make a godly home. And this work isn't easy. The work of a mother, of a wife, what she does for her family takes tremendous skill, dedication, intellect, preparation, and training. It's a vocation and a calling which God highly honors. But the question now is raised. Is it wrong for a woman to work? I know it isn't. After all, our Proverbs 31 woman, who is boast about in Scripture, is a woman who has a job. She earns a living. However, our Proverbs 31 woman shows us where our priorities need to be. She shows us that our first priority is to God. Proverbs 31, verse 29 and 30 says this. It says, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. To our young women in the congregation, whether you are single or married, a mother or not, your devotion is to be first and foremost to God. If God blesses you with a husband, your husband is to be your second priority. If God blesses you with children, they are your third. A job, a career should never be your main priority. Paul is telling you, don't be like the women of the world who seek after themselves, who define themselves by their career. The gospel trains you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The gospel trains you to live godly lives. And then Paul says in verse 5, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, what does Paul mean here? 
But Paul is addressing those women who are married to non-Christian husbands. Uh, the gospel in the first century had particular appeal to those who were oppressed or marginalized. So it was common that women would have become Christians while their husbands would have still believed and worshipped Roman gods. So Paul is saying to these women and says to women today who have non-Christian husbands, don't cause conflict. Don't seek to rule over your husband because you have now embraced the gospel. But live a life shaped and transformed by the gospel and through your godly life, win your husbands to Christ. I like how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 3 from verses 1 to 5. Let me read that for us. Where Peter says, Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. This is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Women in the church live lives shaped and transformed by the gospel. Paul then addresses our young men in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6 with me. Paul says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Uh, young men, the brevity of the instruction to you is not to be overlooked. Uh, Paul has already given a breadth of instruction to our older men, our older women, and our younger men, not to conform to the patterns of this world. And he says similarly to you, don't be conformed to the patterns of those around you, but be shaped by the gospel and live godly lives. And I think for our young men, this, there is a need to be especially vigilant as your bodies are injected with testosterone. You will start feeling like you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Amongst our teenage boys, there'll be a temptation for some of you to do some very silly and stupid things where you want to show off, where you want to show off to your peers and show how manly you are. One temptation that our young men may find is that they have to prove their worth by how much they can drink. But young men, don't fall into this trap. Paul has told us the dangers of alcohol. It causes men to indulge, to be violent, and to get in all sorts of trouble. So young men, be self-controlled. Don't conform to the patterns of those around you, but be shaped and transformed by the gospel. The gospel trains you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The gospel trains you to live godly lives. Paul has instructed each of us to live lives shaped by the gospel. But then he tells us, the church, that we are not just to tell people how to live godly lives, but we ourselves are to model what it means to live a godly life. Have a look at verse 7 and 8 with me. Paul says, 
and everything set them an example by doing what is good, and your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Uh, this is an instruction given and foremost to Titus. However, this is a paradigm that must be followed by all believers. When Titus instructs the church, he tells them to live godly lives so they may instruct those around them. But also live godly lives, model to those outside the church what it means to be shaped and transformed by the gospel. In verse 9, Paul then addresses slaves. In the first century, slaves who became Christians were not in a position to contradict their unbelieving master. Nor were they in a position to openly tell their masters the gospel message which had profoundly changed their lives. So what were slaves to do? They were to model the gospel. They were to show godly living. Paul says slaves are to submit to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing from their masters, but showing good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. There are certain times and situations that we cannot speak the gospel as freely as we would like to those around us. And if a slave is told that they are to work hard and to win their masters through their good works, how much more those who are paid How much more do we need to show those around us how much the gospel has changed and transformed us? How much do we need to show this to our work colleagues, our friends, our family who don't know Christ? Our Paul tells us, live out your faith. Show how the gospel has changed your life. And by doing so, You will make what the Lord Jesus has done in your life attractive to others. And through your good works, win them. Win them to Jesus. That those who are not believers would be attracted to the Christian faith. That they would be jealous for it. That they would desire it. Let us not conform to the patterns of this world. Let us not conform to the behaviors that are around us, that are being modeled to us, but rather let us model to others godly living, lives that have been changed and transformed by the gospel. Paul then reminds each of us what Jesus has done for us. Paul then reminds us the gospel message. Have a look at verse 11 and 12 with me. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Uh, The Christian message is a message of salvation. It is a message of Jesus' saving work and how Jesus came to a people who lived ungodly lives. He came to save those that were living for themselves, those that were breathing in the toxic air of their culture, a people who were under God's wrath and were awaiting His judgment. 
But Jesus saved such a people through taking their punishment upon himself on that cross. Jesus conquers death for them. And then three days later, he rises from the grave and for each of his elect secures for them eternal life. Until Jesus calls us home, and in this present age, he then gives his church, his Holy Spirit, to change them so that they can live holy lives. He gives us his word so that through his word, we may be instructed to live godly lives. When you and I heard the gospel, we were saved from sin and death. We were saved from ungodly living, from worldly living. We were saved from a path that was leading to destruction. It's also that same gospel message which trains us to reject ungodliness and instructs us to live godly lives. As we await for our Lord Jesus' return or until He calls us home, We are to continue to live for Him, continue to do zealous and good works. We are to continue to see others changed through our good works, desiring that they would be changed and transformed by the gospel, by what we say and also what we do. Our friends, let me end with this. The power of discipleship is a real game changer for the church. That through discipleship, we can equip the church to live lives shaped and changed and transformed by the gospel. As the gospel is taught within the home, fathers teaching their children, leading them to Jesus, mothers equipping and guiding their daughters, children being trained and equipped in sound doctrine. And then as a church coming together, as a church working together, spurring each other on to love and good deeds, encouraging one another to renounce ungodliness and to be continued to be shaped and transformed by the gospel, that we would encourage each other to live godly lives. The influences of this world can so easily change the tide of how the church thinks and acts. So we, the church, need to continue to remind one another the gospel and what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. It starts in the family home, and it's reinforced here at church. Uh, Let's be a church profoundly changed and shaped by the gospel. Uh, The gospel trains us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. The gospel trains us to live godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the awesome reminder of what Christ has done in saving us. And not only saving us, but equipping his church to live godly lives. Father, I pray for dads and mums here in the church. Please help them as they raise their children. Help them as they disciple them and lead them to acknowledge what Jesus has done and is doing in their lives. Father, I pray also for our young men and women in the church. Continue to protect them. Help them as they 
will confront the pressures of their peers and the various ideologies that are thrown their way. Father, I pray, equip them and equip your church to have a better grasp and understanding of what your word and the gospel has done in their lives and is continuing to do in their lives. Our Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.